You're listening to the Poster Boy Podcast. Our mission is to help young entrepreneurs in small town America start, grow, and manage 21st century businesses. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, I'm Chad. Hey, and this is Drew. Today, we're going to talk about a quote like we always do. Chad, what's the quote for today? All right. Our quote today is by Stephen Covey. I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. Another amazing quote. Chad, I know that between both you and I, we've got lots of anecdotes behind this. Let's start off with a story or an anecdote about your life and some of your circumstances. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny. I, I don't talk too much about my circumstances, you know, growing up as a kid, but a few of the things that happened that I guess could have defined my life if I let them. So in in seventh grade, I joined the middle school football team, which I had no business doing. I was a really small kid and had no interest in doing it either, but my friends were doing it. So I thought, hey, why not? At the end of a practice, uh, two kids got into some argument. One kid pushed the other. And uh, the one that was pushed, he fell down into the side of my leg and my knee broke in half or the bone right oh, above my no. knee broke in half. Oh, yeah, it was, no. it was awful. And I, I never lost consciousness. Uh, it just, it was excruciating. And, you know, side note, whenever the ambulance got there or the medics, they thought it was dislocated. So they tried to straighten it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. Like small town America, I guess, you know. <laughs> but um, it was it was awful, just to say the least. But so something that, that came from that. Well, first of all, I was I played soccer my whole life and I really thought my future somehow involves soccer. Uh, I, I think it's probably naive to think that I was actually that good, but I thought I was pretty good and had a lot of fun with it and really enjoyed it. And I was probably too young to know if it was something I could do forever. But I really believed I could. And this really changed a lot because when I broke the leg, uh, I had a cast from my thigh to my ankle for a really long time. I don't even remember how long at this point. I had to go through physical therapy and all these other things. Well, then along the way, I, I went to my last doctor's appointment. It turns out that I'd broken a growth plate that was right above your knee. Of all the things that could happen, mine was like a 0.01% chance that part of the growth plate above my knee on my left leg closed off. So now all of it could have or none of it could have, but mine partially closed off. So what that meant was my left leg was going to grow crooked as I hit this growth spurt. So I had to go to a specialist in St. Louis and they gave me some options, but essentially the only real option was they had to remove the growth plate above my knee in both legs. So my legs would be the same length. And so my left leg wouldn't grow crooked. So this uh, caused me to miss the first growth spurt that you hit uh, end of eighth grade going into high school. Which it was really um, looking back at it, it was it was it was tough experience. But, you know, it also shaped your life today. But what what I ended up being at the age of 60, uh, 16 years old, excuse me, I was roughly five foot tall and probably weighed like one hundred and five pounds. Oh, man. So I'm pretty sure at that point, my dream of playing professional soccer was out the window Uh, along the way during that that situation. A little bit after my parents divorced, which is, you know, pretty common in America. Um, But then. Uh, we, I stayed with my dad in, in the house that I had grown up in that we had built. And my, it was either my junior or senior year, I think it was my senior year in high school, we, we lost the house. Uh, it, they, the bank foreclosed on the house. And so we had to move. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, that, that, was, that was probably more traumatic than 
you know, my parents ever realize or anyone realizes because yeah. it creates this, this different sense of, uh, I don't even know what the word is, but you lose the sense of security. You yeah. lose it's not, the, go ahead. It's not, not homelessness, but you, you kind of, you, you lose that anchor, that one reliable thing in your life. Yeah, you know, I guess. And what's crazy, though, is the things that I do remember are from my parents splitting money being really tight. And it was just you just had a different life. And, you know, the one thing that I always said when I was there was I just really going to do everything in my power to make sure this never happens to me. And I want to operate from I never want to put myself in a position where this could happen to me, I guess you could say. So I did everything I could, you know, and and I'll I'll get back to how that ends. But at at the end of the day, whenever that happened, it made leaving for college very easy because the life I'd grown up in and it was my senior year. It was like the last semester. The life I'd grown up in was no longer what I knew. And, you know, like going back home, it's just even today, if I go through Kennedy, it just gives me that eerie feeling because the last the last moments that I spent there, they weren't that good, you know, but at the end of the day, I was always this kid that's super happy and always had a great personality, you know, upbeat, positive, outgoing. Just sometimes it's, you know, it's just the stuff that happens to you and there's nothing you can really do about it. But so then, you know, that takes me to, to Chicago and something that very few people ever actually realize. One of the first things that happened to me when I left for Chicago. So I worked at Walmart Supercenter uh, in Kennett. And then I transferred when, when high school was over, I moved to a town called Dexter, which is where my parents or my dad and them still live today. I transferred to the Walmart there. So my intention was to transfer to Walmart in Chicago. So I would have a job when I got there. Well, when I got up there, Walmart was very different, uh, in Chicago than it was where I grew up. So where I grew up, it was, it was like the holy, it was like the thing everyone did, the place everyone shopped. Whereas in the city, you had all of these additional options, right? So you have Whole Foods, you have Target, you have, you know, in Chicago, we have Jewel Osco, you have Fresh Time, all these other places that you could, could shop at. And so Walmart didn't necessarily attract the best crowd in the area that I moved to. And it just caught me off guard. So mm-hmm. I actually never ended up transferring there. So then I, I got my first job in the in the service industry. I, I got a job at um, a local country club. So it was called Oak Park River Forest Country Club. And I went there and never, never been around anyone really that was like truly successful in, in the terms of where I ex- what I experienced at this country club. So it was in a, in a place called River Forest, which is where I went to school. It was really nice. I mean, it's a place that you you hope that something rubs off on you because it's that great. This is a funny story for anyone that's in a small town that's that's our age. And Drew, we've never talked about this, but maybe you're familiar with this. But so I grew up listening to a guy on the radio named Paul Harvey. Are you familiar with Paul Harvey? Yes, I am. Okay. So my whole life, being the small-minded Southern person that I was, I thought Paul Harvey lived in, in Kennett. Because he was on the radio, and I only listened to the radio in Kennett, so I just assumed everyone lived in Kennett, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I get this job at this country club. Some A, a girl that was working or in my college, she's told me they were hiring, so I went over, and the lady, the lady hired me. She's super nice. Her name was Tracy, and still grateful to this day for her and the experience. But one of the first tables I was waiting on, this guy and this, this lady come in. So the guy is like, 
I don't even know, man. This is I'm going way back in my memory bank, but maybe six five, six six, and his wife was like four nine. Okay, which is crazy. And they come in and they sit down. It's like one of my first tables, so I'm I'm really nervous. And I go over and I'm like, hey, you know, my name's Chad. I'll be taking care of you, whatever. And this guy, when he opens his mouth, I said, are you Paul Harvey? And he's like, yes. And so this whole time, I thought he was from <laughs> Kenneth. Well, so I am freaking out. And, you know, in the country club, you, there are quite a few people that go there that are very, very wealthy. And part yeah. of the reason they go there is because they're not treated different. You know, the public doesn't recognize them, those things. Yeah. But I was a little bit different in this scenario. So. <laughs> I was so starstruck and so excited. Oh my God. Like I could not tell you how excited I was. And they pulled me aside. My, the lady that hired me, Tracy and uh, the guy that ran the place, his name was Hugo. They pulled me aside and they was like, they were, you can never do this again. Like you cannot address these people. Like this is why they come here. Okay. 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 So then I take my, my little, um, what do you call it? Whatever it was, a little card I used to, we used to write orders down on and I had an extra one and I, I went over to him when he was leaving and I said, Mr. Harvey, could you do me a favor and just sign this for my dad? And I said, his name's Denny. And he's like, sure, you know. And so they're watching me, but they don't know what I'm asking. And so he writes down the name Benny, B-E-N-N-Y, instead of my dad's name of Denny. And But I didn't even care. I was so happy. And so yeah. from that day on, every time he came in there, I was always quick to say hi. And it was so amazing. You know, and come to find out he lived a block from my school and I just had a, a really good time of being able to get to know him. And it was just, uh, I know it's, it's just a total side note, but you know, for anyone that's in a small town that's our age, you know, Paul Harvey. And it was just such yeah. a cool thing for me. Well, okay. So, you know, some other circumstances of mine that I think I could have probably leaned on was I, I dropped out of college. You know, and another thing too, just a quick side note on college when I got there. So my school was like 30, I don't know at the time, 32, $33,000 per year. And my parents had no money, literally none. And when I left, I had probably $800 and I thought I was rich. You know, and I get up there and my first bill was like a thousand. And like, uh, so I remember sitting in my dorm room crying because I really didn't even know how I was going to pay it. But what I learned was that once you, once you started a semester, they couldn't kick you out until the end of the semester. So it really gave me some time to figure out how I was going to pay all these bills. So I was that person. I was the first person, you know, if I were to get books, I would like get mine immediately just in case I couldn't pay the bill. So that way I could, I had a semester to figure it out before they were like, no, you can't get it because you haven't paid your first month's tuition payment, whatever. But anyhow, you know, so that was very difficult for me, uh, especially in the beginning. And then you, you know, you just kind of start adapting because you put yourself in the situation. But I had friends that, you know, their parents flew them places just to, to hang out for the weekend. And, for me, it was just like, what? You're going to Mexico for the weekend? I just, I couldn't even, it just didn't even make sense to me. But, you know, I always wanted those problems. And, but then after school, I ended up, um, my my first daughter, I was, I was dating a girl. She ended up pregnant. We got married. That lasted a, a whopping three months. Um, so that was, uh, <laughs> you know, that was, that was post-college. And so I was really heading down the right path. You know, I had a, I had a kid yeah. that I came forward, um, just a lot of things like that. And then, you know, to, to move on from that, I had started a company and then we split up. Me and the the people that I was working with, we went our separate ways. And I got stuck with a bunch of credit card debt and a bunch of other things. And I ended up ruining my credit. And so all of these things ended up like manifesting. It was almost like my greatest fears they all manifested. You know, my fear was 
I would lose everything. You know, when you lose everything in high school, you kind of you come to expect it and you become this like self-destructive person. So it's pretty much what happened. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on, Drew. I mean, you know, within all of those time frames, there were so many other things that happened. But, you know, I think changes everything is, you know, is starting to really evaluate your life and evaluate, like, why are these circumstances happening? And Drew, you know that I've spoke to you many times about the book, The Secret uh, Mm -hmm. by Rhonda Byrne. I'm just such a fan of this. And you also know that Peter Folio, uh, a guy that owns 10% of the poster company, was featured in Rhonda's second book called um, The Secret, The Hero Edition. And these things, you know, when reading his story and being able to be around him and, and learn from these people, you start learning that success is not luck. So many people think that you get lucky. Like I can't tell you how many people have said to me, well, you had a great idea. Well, you know what? A lot of people have great ideas. Okay, executing on a great idea is not necessarily a lifetime's work, but in my in my case, it's been more than or at least half of my lifetime's work. So really what changed my entire life was starting to understand that all of my decisions were leading to my outcomes, all of them, right? So so many people call this karma. And it's funny because I personally don't believe in karma. And, and I'll tell you why. So for, for people that say karma exists, this is, this is how I will give a very basic example. If I speed all the time and then I finally get a ticket, they're like, well, of course you're going to get a ticket. You're always speeding. No, that's, that's not why I got a ticket. I got a ticket because I got caught speeding this one specific time. Okay. Mm-hmm. By continuously speeding, I increased the probability that I would get a speeding ticket. Okay, but it's not the exact reason that I got a ticket. I got a ticket because that particular time in that particular situation or circumstance, I was caught speeding. Yeah, you got caught. Yep, absolutely. And so I think for a lot of people, they, they look at karma as a reason why their life is the way it is. Okay, and for me, I refused to accept that karma or any exterior factor was the reason that my life was the way it was. My life and every decision had an outcome. Okay. And I am also a believer that if you improve your decisions, you will improve your outcome. That has nothing to do with karma. Karma would tell you that the inevitable is going to happen. If you do something stupid when you're 12, sometime in your life, this is going to come back to bite you. No, that's not how that works. Yeah. And I, I, while I appreciate <laughs> there's that, a lot of things. I said, I hope oh, not. Yeah. <laughs> you and me both. Maybe that's why I choose to not believe in it. Right. <laughs> but so, you know, if you if you go back to that and you start looking at like right now in our company, every single decision has an outcome. And if I make a different decision, I will have a different outcome. It doesn't have anything to do with what I did five years ago. It has to do with the decisions that I make every single day. Today, when I wake up, if I'm going to be rude, then people are going to be rude back to me. But if I've been rude forever and tomorrow I wake up and I start being nice to everyone, guess what? People will be nice to me. There might be some carryover because they think it's fake. But eventually, when people realize that you're constantly being nice, then they'll be nice. You know, I I guess essentially what, what it comes from it, Drew, is that in life, it's the basic principle we're taught as a kid. You get what you give. And in my life, 
personally, I've tried to really implement this and always treat people the way I want to be treated and give in a way that I want to receive. Okay. And I want to receive just in, you know, in, in genuine ways, in caring ways. I want quality friends that really care about me as a person. And I want to be a friend that does that first. And I know if I do that, then I tend to get that in return. But, you know, another thing that happens is this also goes with money. Okay. And so for me personally, I always seem to be broke always. It didn't matter what I made. Uh, I just spent it everything I made, no matter what, like it was amazing. You know, even when I was serving, if I made $300 that, that night, you can bet by Tuesday that 300 bucks was gone on something that I did not need. So it didn't matter what it was. And so then I started realizing that basically my financial situation was very similar to every other situation in my life. I was getting what I was giving and I wasn't giving any attention to saving, no attention to invest investing no attention to things that would improve my financial situation, you know? And then it was explained to me one day that you have to treat every dollar you get as if it's a soldier, right? And so if you, if you take this soldier and you send it off to war by itself, odds are it will get killed and never return to you. (laughs) But you think, listen, this is like spending money. Okay. So like you, you don't go to war, like one person doesn't go take on a country. Okay, if you spend this single dollar into to, into a spot that it has no chance of succeeding or coming back to you, you're essentially like that's what you're doing. Yep. And this is the way it was explained to me. It was really interesting. But they say, look, if you if you send a bunch of soldiers out, they can go out and capture other soldiers and bring them back to you. And so I thought that was a really interesting analogy. And for no, me, so it's somehow it worked. You know, it worked. I understood it. I understood that, you know, every time I bought food, it was gone. Right. But so the question was, could I buy food in a smarter way that I could then let's just say hypothetically in a week, I spent a hundred bucks on fast food. Well, what if I could spend $30 on food from the store and utilize my stove and microwave and then take the $70 and invest it in, you know, say the stock market and get a return on that money? Well, now instead of my hundred being gone, 30 was gone, but my 70 was earning money. So maybe by the end of the, you know, the end of the year, I don't know, maybe I made $10 or $15 on my 70 bucks. And now I'm only down $15, but otherwise I would have been out a hundred. And if you compound this every single week for an entire year, if you're saving $70, all of a sudden you save $3,600. And it makes a big difference, especially for someone that doesn't have a lot of money. 3600 bucks was an absolute ton of money. Um, well, so yeah, I guess that, I guess that's really uh, where it went. And then it, then then as I took that concept, this is how I learned to use it. Was basically this. Let's say I made $400 a week at $10 an hour and I spend money on food, gas and other random things, then at the end of the week it's gone. But if I take $40 of that money every week and save for 4 weeks, I could buy a three-headed gumball machine, which I actually did this. So I bought a 300 gumball machine for, it was like 160 bucks or 180 bucks or something. And then, um, so I put that, that particular gumball machine in a local restaurant near where I was living. And then that machine, believe it or not, was making me like 15 or $20 a month. But every single week I was continuing to save the $40 
and then buying a new one. And then so over time, this became a lot. I ended up having, I think, somewhere around 50 of these at a time or at the end of it. And I, I was making a decent amount of money. But it's the cool part was that the same money that I was blowing before, I was now using it to buy assets. And, you know, for anyone that does not know what an asset or liability is, I think Rich Dad, Poor Dad gives it to you in the simplest way possible. An asset puts money in your pocket and a liability takes money out of your pocket. And so today, whenever I buy things, I try to ask myself, is this an asset or a liability? And I think that the true goal to becoming wealthy is to buy more assets than liabilities. That's fantastic. Let me, let's pause for a second and yeah. talk about the the idea or or what your what your perspective is on decisions because as you're describing your circumstances and as you've described some of the decisions that the way you started thinking that started to change your decisions i'm left with this idea that no matter what you do you're making decisions uh you know like i this morning i woke up at four and I did the dishes and I was just super productive. And I did this because I, it was intentional. Like I, I intended on and desired to have a very productive day. So I did these things. If I had woken up at seven or eight or nine o'clock in this morning and did nothing or did something, it would we know without being intentional, it still would have been a decision. So I guess what I'm trying to say, or, or I'm really interested in your perspective here, is no, no matter what we're doing, we're making decisions. Is it, is it different or was it different in your life when you decided to say, well, I'm going to be intentional about my decisions. I'm going to make the right decisions rather than just things happening to me that I don't control. Yeah. <laughs> it's if When you ask the question, it's hard for me to think back to the time and the moment that the light switch just happened, where it really turned on that I was going to act intentionally, I think what it was, was every now and then I would do something and I would have a good result. And I was trying to really feed on why this was happening and started to try and look for the similarities between all of my good decisions versus my bad ones. And then I started reading, I mean, I read all the time, constantly, but one of the books that I read was called The Book of Habit. And I think it really had a profound impact on acting intentionally because what, what the book basically states is you create your habits and your habits create your life. And for me, it was a super powerful statement because really your result is your fault. Whether it's good or bad, it's your fault. It's no one else's literally, you know, and, and so many people look at their story and their circumstances as excuses. But if they would stop and really, truly evaluate themselves and say, hey, where could I be better? What could I do to make myself a better person, a better friend, a better employee, a better business owner? What, whatever it is, what could I do? Yeah. And I think the book of habit for me reminded me of why I wasn't working out every day. It pointed out all of the things that I didn't like about myself and not that I'm unhappy with myself because I'm not, but it pointed out all the things that I wasn't necessarily doing well. And so then I started focusing really hard on my habits and learning that, you know, with most things, I think most habits, there's so many studies out there that say 30 days to build a habit, 90 days, whatever. The thing I learned from the book was that 
once you have a habit that's built, this is the scary part. You can never get rid of it. Okay, it's always ingrained in your brain. But the thing that you can do is replace it. Do you think that there's any one decision that is, it almost feels like a fork in the road decision that has changed your life or could change someone's life? Or do you think it's just being being habitual, being someone who who purposely makes lots of tiny, tiny good decisions? I think both. Okay. I think uh, tiny good decisions are very similar to saving small amounts of money in the stock market over a long period of time will add up to be a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Right. I think there are decisions that you make every single day, but it's more about evaluating yourself and what you want for your life. So if you were to ask yourself, where do I want to be in two years from now, or maybe five years, or maybe one year, I don't know what the year is or what the timeline is. But if you ask yourself that, and then you say, hey, what am I doing each day to get there? You know, one of the cool part, I think this is probably a cool, cool thing. And hopefully someone else hears this and agrees with me. But I learned in college from, again, one of my favorite professors, Dr. Calabrese. He said to me, the, the best and scariest thing about the future is that it happens one day at a time. So 10 years from now will not just appear. 10 years from now will happen one day at a time. So the question is, are you doing something today? to get yourself to where you want to be 10 years from now. And tomorrow, ask yourself the same question. And each day, if you're progressively doing these things, the collective whole of 10 years times 365 days, some 366, whatever, 3,600 days, the collective whole will equal 10 years. So at the end of the day, you just want to do something each day that moves you towards your goal. And so that's what Yeah, no, that's a really good perspective. You know, to take it back to the quote, your your vision of yourself or where you're going to be 10 days, 10 months, 10 years from now, you have to look forward. You you can't look back at your circumstances. I mean, no matter where you're going, someone starts from the bottom or starts with nearly nothing. You know, considering your circumstances, you know, your your accident with your leg, you know, disruption in your household, it sounds like an early 20s that was a lot of fun, but maybe a little risky on the credit cards looking at where you're at today and then considering, I'm sure if you look back at, if Chad says to himself in 10 years, I will be X, Y, and Z, you're not going to think, but man, 10 years ago, I was CDF, you know, like you, at some point you just have to walk away from what made you or what you, your the beliefs that you carried with you. And it's something I always heard. And I, I don't know if I would say I'd live the, by this, but I've, I've heard this and I've thought about this often is, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And, and it's such an interesting way to look at, you know, evolutions or changes in people's lives, businesses, careers, or even families, you know, because for as much as we grow as people, society, cultures, the forces around us, those change as well, right? I'll, I'll share a little bit about some of my circumstances and just to, a similar frame of reference to Chad's. I grew up in a very small town in Texas. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a household that I certainly never felt like we were poor, um, but we we didn't live in the nice suburb part of town, right? So we we had we had lots of the right things that we needed as as kids. And I remember, you know, I, I was 18 years old, and like any good decision an 18 year old makes, my mom asked me. She said. You know, Drew, you have two you have two choices. You can either go to college or move out. I decided I didn't want to go to college. I didn't know. I wasn't told 
how to go to college. So I just, I felt it was a bit too risky to just do it on my own. And then really my life for the next six to seven years was just a leaf on a wind. Ended up at a really good company by accident and I started taking charge there, but there really was no end goal. My decisions and my actions were very much so paycheck to paycheck, Monday to Friday. And then my child came along, my, my son Landon came along. It was at that moment that I realized that I didn't want to be a 70-year-old graphic designer. I didn't, I didn't feel like I wanted to retire being a designer. I will be intentional and I will do something to make a change here. So I, I remember fondly being a bank, bank teller, which is quite possibly one of the worst jobs I've ever had in my life as <laughs> a bank teller. Yeah, um, yeah. And I remember whenever it was slow, I'd have a programming book in my lap on the company computer writing little bit, bits of code. And every single day, I would spend an hour every day learning a new piece of code, writing a little bit of software. And in, in about six to seven months, I was actually pretty good. I interviewed at places, uh, circumstances changed and you know there was still a bit of a leaf on the wind. But the takeaway from that was, is that I was intentional about teaching myself. And I learned that, that I am very resilient when it comes to learning something. There's, this has been definitely to my benefit I, I have this audacious feeling that there's nothing I can't learn. It's just a matter of what do I want to learn? 100%. Like literally 100%. You know, it's, it's good to hear yours too. I think there's so many correlations between people that do things versus people that don't do things, you know? And that's really at the end of the day, Nike summed it up how many years ago? Just do it. You know, build an action plan for your life and figure out where you want to be and apply yep, the Nike principle. <laughs> like you just, yeah. I mean, really, you know, is. that's something that I found is, you know, there's, there's time for planning, but then there's time for action. It needs to be all action. Who, who said this, Drew? Drew, who said this? I, I don't remember who it was. I know it was a famous singer, but it says life is what happens while you're oh, busy man. making I've plans. I've heard that. So many times, I I couldn't tell you who said it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was anonymous. Well, you know, and I think that's the thing. Like so many people. And by the way, back to circumstance. I, something that you pointed out was, you know, that you you had a book in your lap about coding, and you took it up and you did it. The thing is, in when we grew up and we were a little bit younger, and maybe the high school market, it was a little bit different yeah. because the internet wasn't there. Okay, but today, no matter where you live, if, if you have access to the Internet, which I mean, really, if you live anywhere in the United States, you do. Even if it's at a local library, you can teach yourself anything. Right. You can you you there is no excuse to not to, today. You know, I think back in the day when they said you can be whatever you want to be, that that yeah. line was probably like, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But it's really good motivator. Right. But today, I actually believe it. I think today it's more true than ever. And the American dream is more alive today than it's ever been at any other time in our history. Even though so many people don't believe that, yeah. I couldn't believe it more. Just for anyone listening, look, circumstances, we all have a story. Okay, I think the, the crazy part about life is that the majority of it is mundane, non, non-eventful, and more bad than good happens to most people. Okay, so there's a, a fun little statement that you are unique. 
just like everybody else. Okay. So stop taking your personal story and harping on it and allowing it to define your future. Like what defines your future are the actions you take every single day. Are you a person that accomplishes things daily and moves forward? Are you relatively stagnant? Are you bored? Uh, You know, read. I cannot stress enough to the world. Read. If you don't like reading, listen to audiobooks. I, I do not care how you do it, but books, especially if you do not have great close mentors, are the greatest thing you can do for inspiration. Read biographies. Read Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. Read Sam Walton. Read how these guys did it because it's those things that inspire you. And I have found personally, and I know Drew has as well, we've had this conversation many times, that entrepreneurship provides purpose. And it provides a great, I don't even know what the word is, a great path through the negative and the bad. Like even those bad things happen, you're working towards something and that alone makes the majority of your life positive. And that's an amazing thing. I love it. This is exceptional. I think that's all we need for an action plan. We've got our listeners uh, on the hook for their decisions. They made a decision today to listen to this podcast. We hope that their next good decision is actually abiding by and really deeply considering how they make their decisions. I mean, I think some of it just comes from mindfulness, being mindful of the decisions you make, both intentional and unintentional. Call your mom, call your dad, call your grandpa. I mean, that that right there is an immediate decision that, you know, like what is the upside versus the downside? You know, even if it's, you know, null, right? Like start being very intentional about your decisions and don't let your past hang you up. 100%. I love it. All right, Drew. So we're going to end this uh, with a quote that we will start with for tomorrow or next week, I guess. And it is, how many millionaires do you know who have become wealthy by investing in savings accounts? I rest my case. That's by Robert G. Allen. This has been another episode of the Poster Boy Podcast, brought to you by utproducts.com. Find and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at theposterboybook.com to grab your copy of the book. 